Thanksgiving. Is everyone doing okay? You ready to go spend some time with family? You're praying up for that? You're praying up for the family situation? And uh, so anyway, I, gotta, I have to tell you a funny story. Uh, Pastor Joseph was here last week. If, if you missed it, you should, uh, I encourage you to go online and listen to the, um, the, the message he gave last week, the interview we gave. And on Wednesday, I drove him down to Luling to, to, to a church. And, you know, one of the things, if you've never been to a, kind of a third world country, uh, one of the things is that they typically don't have infrastructure like we have. Uh, you know, like things like roads, bridges, things like that. And so we, we drove up Grand Parkway 99, and we were getting on Interstate 10 to go uh, west to Luling, Texas. And um, you know how they've made that big bridge, and, you know, I mean, it's a monster. It goes up and curves to the left. And so we started driving, and he's, he's sitting there in the passenger seat. We started driving up that, and he, he just stopped and said, my God. <laughs> he said it would take 200 years to build this. Uh, in India, so anyway, so anyway, uh, but you know that that's why you know when, of course, when terrible things happen to us, we can always come back quicker because we have infrastructure. And you can imagine flooding in areas where they don't even have concrete or paved roads. I mean, it just washes out roads. They got to rebuild dirt roads. And so anyway, I just I thought that was I thought that was funny. Pastor Joe, if you missed him, he'll be back. Uh, next Sunday he'll be in service, and so you can talk to him. Uh, it's an incredible thing. Um, we talked about, you know, one of the things that God has always brought on our heart is about uh, multiculturalism, having a diverse church, having diverse ministries, and, um, and, and of course our congregation is diverse, but uh, we're wanting to do more, and of course we've been working with India for about eight years now, and they've just had tr incredible success as we've partnered with them. And we announced last week that Pastor Joseph and their ministry, uh, they're actually changing their name to Family Life, and, and they're going to become a part of us. They want to become a part of our ministry. So we're very excited about that. And then, um, uh, then it, I don't know, many of you know Joe. Pastor Joe, would you raise your hand? I call him Pastor. He's a pastor. But um, uh, Joe is, uh, this next year, in about a, a little over a year, he'll be, he'll be retiring from UPS, and we will be starting Family Life Spanish on Sunday afternoon. So uh, we're excited about that. And so excited about it, ex expanding and just, uh, you know, reaching, reaching, reaching as many people as we can. And so let's open the, the Bible this morning. And if you have a Bible, just hold it up. If you, if you have a phone or device, just let's hold that up. And God, we pray blessings over your word. Lord, we believe that your word contains all truth, that your word is our blueprint for life. And if we can simply read it and study it and live by it, our lives would be so much more effective, God. So many of the problems we get into in life is because we haven't followed exactly uh, your, your best plan for our lives. We've allowed uh, things to get into our lives that block your best plan for our lives. So God, we just pray that your word Speak to us that the Holy Spirit would uh, just really take the words we, from the Bible we read today and really just help apply them to our personal daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So several weeks ago we started a series of messages called The Boundary Stones of Our Faith, and we've been di discussing how God has given us uh, spiritual boundary stones to guide our life and really they're more like markers. God has given us some spiritual boundary stones or some markers. Uh, if you remember the reference uh, is the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, they said that as you got your land, you're supposed to put boundary stones, big stones that mark your property. And we, we've just taken that and talked about how God has put some big markers, spiritual markers in our lives, and they're there so that we can stay within them, within the markers. And and when we are able to follow God's word and his boundary stones, it really saves us from a lot of trouble and it keeps us on the right path. The problem, the problem is that today culture, society, and even the church has been guilty of moving God's boundary stones to wherever we would like them to be. And, uh, you know, we've, perhaps we've all been guilty of this, some more than others, but you know, we read the Bible and we take the things that we like, and those are good boundary stones, but the things we don't like, well, we just, I'll have to pray about that for another day. 
you know, and we, we put things, and, you know, when I, when I read the Bible, it, it tells some tough, some, says some tough things that, things like we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us. We're supposed to love our enemies and treat them in a way, so it says a lot of, a lot of things, well, those are boundary stones, and just because something makes us feel uncomfortable, it doesn't, it doesn't negate its truth or that it works in our lives. So we're just sharing these, and in week one, we talked about how the first boundary stone is God's Word, and we talked about how God wrote His Word, it, it's inerrant, it contains all truth, and that when, when we, we follow it, that's very important, and the world has been very good at really trying to devalue God's Word and, and, and to make it not very important, but we believe it is. And in week two, we talked about how to read and understand the Bible, uh, but it's so important that we learn how to read and study God's Word because all of the spiritual boundary markers uh, that God has given us, they're in His Word. They're outlined for us. So if you never read the Word, if you never read the Bible, it's, sometimes it's really hard to know if you're living and, and, and acting right. And then, of course, two weeks ago we talked about the nature and character of God. I think that if our goal is to get closer to God, it helps a whole lot if we actually know what God is like. And we talked about the nature and character of God, we, and we talked about the doctrine of the Trinity, God in three, the three in one, and very, very important. And, and this morning, we're going to talk about something again. You know, of course, the boundary stones, these are big principles we, we need to live by. We're going to talk about the boundary stone of the church. And uh, you may say here today, it's like, well, why don't you tell me something that I don't know because I'm here, you know? I wouldn't be in church if I didn't think it was important. That's not necessarily true. I meet people every week that are here because somebody made them come okay, or because somebody pressured to come, or because it's Easter or Christmas, but I want you, what I want to do is I want to go through the Bible this morning and talk and show you from God's Word, not my idea, of what Jesus says about the church and what the Bible says about the importance and the, 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 how vital church is for the kingdom of God around the world to grow and for local uh, communities, and, and he, here's why I, I talk about this. In, in recent years, I believe many Christians, really, especially in America, uh, really don't believe in participating in church, don't believe in going to church, don't believe in serving in the church. They just don't believe in church anymore. And, uh, and, and so I think, I think we, we need to know, how do you answer that? How do you, how do you talk with somebody? Perhaps you're here today and, and you don't normally come to church very often, and, and, and so maybe this will help you too. But I, I think it's very important. It's common. A common statement I hear is that is people say, Terry, I love Jesus, but I just don't care so much for the church. And they'll even go on to say, uh, you know, Terry, I love, you know, I love Jesus, but I just believe that church is a man-made institution that's filled with rules, traditions. Uh, guidelines, organizational structures that Jesus never endorsed while he was here on the earth. And so, so what is the truth? Uh, is, is, is church just a man-made institution that, that we've made up? Certainly, certainly sometimes people in organizations make church something that Jesus never intended it to be. That's very, very important. Uh, we need to recognize that. But what is, what is the truth on that? And I think that if you just read the Bible, if you just study the Bible, when I was growing up, my dad was a pastor, and he had a saying. He said, if I put you on an island with only a Bible, could you come up with that doctrine? Because people have all these man-made ideas. If I just put you on the, on the island, and, and all you did was read the Bible, what would, your, what would your thoughts on church be? What would your thoughts on Christianity be? Well, what would your thoughts on living out your, your faith be? And I think it's very clear if you look at the church, that the church is mentioned all the time, and I believe that Jesus intended to play a vital role in our Christian faith. So let's look at this for a few minutes. First of all, the word church is, is, the, Greek, is the Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia, that's the Greek word in the New Testament for, for church. And um, so every time the word church in the New Testament is, is, you read it, it's the word ekklesia. And it's mentioned 114 times in the New Testament. So the New Testament is the, the back portion of the Bible, of course. It starts the life of Jesus and ends with the book of Revelation, 27 books. It all starts with Jesus and after he left, how the church grew and so on and so forth. But the church is mentioned 114 times. And 
That's like, you know, if the Bible says something once, it's, it's important. If the Bible says something five times, it's important. If the Bible mentions a term or a concept or a word more than a hundred times, it's very, very important, and we should, we should read those and, and try to understand, you know, what it's talking about. Um, so basically, it's impossible to read the New Testament without coming to the conclusion that the, that the, the church is God's method. It's his method for building his kingdom. And what we learn is after Jesus, in the book of Acts, after Jesus went back to heaven, um, that the church, the early church, just exploded with growth. And all these disciples that Jesus had trained, all these disciples that had spent three years with him, listening to him teach, um, what they did is they started evangelizing the world. And, and their method was this. They would go to a new place, a new town, a village, or city, uh, that perhaps had never heard about Jesus, and they would start sharing the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And then when one or two or ten of them gave their lives to the Lord, they would then start, they would then start a church there so that they would have a, a place to assemble because they were the only Christians in that, in that local area. So um, sharing faith with people and them coming to Jesus and then, um, and then starting a church, it kind of went hand in hand. The two, the two went, to get, went, went together. And uh, this is mentioned, this is shown clearly in the book of Acts. If you've never read the book of Acts, uh, the book of Acts is right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. Acts is the, is the history of, of Jesus, uh, you know, talking with his disciples, going back to heaven. Then his disciples, it covers, the book of Acts covers 30 years, 30 years of the church growing, and you know, it, it is a masterpiece to read if you really want to understand how the church was to operate and the importance of it. So, out of these 114 times that Ecclesia, the church, is mentioned, there are normally three scenarios that it's mentioned. So, every time the church is mentioned in these 114 times in the New Testament, it, there's usually one of three scenarios that it's talking about. The first scenario is this, is that the church, it represents the body of Christ worldwide, over which Jesus functions as the head. So, uh, in other words, the, the first concept is, is the universal church. Like, we have churches in Sugarland, Houston, Stafford, in India, Nepal, China. There's Christian churches all over. So the first concept is, is the church, everyone together, all, all at once, all the bodies, bodies of believers. And, and let, let's look at this concept, Matthew 16, 18. It says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. So it's talking about my church, the universal church, Christians everywhere that assemble together. In Ephesians 1.22 it says, and God placed all things under his feet, it's talking about Jesus, all things under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So, you know, the church has one you say, uh, although there's maybe local pastors or church leaders, the one that's over the church is the head of the church is Jesus, okay? And if the church leadership ever gets out of step with what, how Jesus wants to lead the church, the church is in trouble. And then at 1 Timothy 3.15 it says, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and the foundation of truth. So, First Timothy is a pastoral epistle. Uh, Paul is writing to his spiritual son Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus, and he gives him several chapters on how church should should conduct itself, how people should conduct themselves, the behavior, the standards, things like that. And he says, "If I'm delayed, I want you to know uh, how people should conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth." Uh, the second expression, the second scenario is that, is, is that the church can refer to God's people in a given region. And we see this in Scripture, Acts 9.31. It says, so the church, through, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Remember that, that part there, it multiplied. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So it, this is referencing the church in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, so a regional place. And then frequently, 
it referred to a local congregation of Christians. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, it says this, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So to the church in Corinth. So the, the church can mean the church everywhere. It can be, mean in a region or it can mean the church, you know, It'd be hard if the Bible was written today, it would say the churches in Sugarland because there are multiple. But back here, when Christianity was first starting, many, many times there was only one congregation. And so it wasn't confusing. If you wanted to go to church, you had one place to go, right? I mean, if you wanted a, a Christian church. And so this is, this is very important. So here, the next question I have is this, is how many times did Jesus personally reference the church, the ecclesia, when Jesus was here on earth? And we know... We know, um, uh, you know, John said, if all of the things that Jesus talked about, if all of the miracles were contained, you know, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it. So the Bible gives us a public glimpse of what Jesus did, but he was talking in private behind the scenes as well. But public references, Jesus made two references to the church, to the ecclesia. And I think what's important here is we know that Jesus endorsed the church because his disciples went out immediately started planting churches and starting churches but in these two references that we're going to read that Jesus talks about the church the ecclesia uh, they're two very very powerful statements that I think we, need, we should consider the first one is in Matthew 16 verse 16 through 18 and it says this Simon Peter answered this is the great confession you are the Messiah the son of the living God and Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Of course, Peter means Petra or rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. What's interesting is uh, Jesus is not saying that he would build his church on Peter because his name meant rock. He was talking about the rock of the of the, uh, of the expression of the, the great confession that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But this is very, very important because uh, what Jesus said is, I will build my church. And, and, it, and it's, it, it's the only place where Jesus, where Jesus professes his personal pronoun, my, to this. So what does Jesus promise to build? And Jesus doesn't promise to build an institution. He doesn't promise to build, he promises to build his church. Uh, nothing else, and he, he promises to build no other earthly institutions. He attaches the personal pronoun my to no other earthly ent entity. So Jesus, he sums up his entire mission as church building. Uh, this was his chief concern. So and people always ask, well, you know, what, it, what, it, what is Jesus doing? What has Jesus been doing? He's doing the same thing that he was doing when, when he left here, when he was here and when he left, is that he's, bu he's building his church. And this is, this is very significant in the world today. I, I just, I try to, I, 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 what I want to do is I, I in this series, is I, I want you to understand how important these boundary stones are and if, and if our, our ideas are not lining up with the Bible, we really have to change how we perceive things because it doesn't work. So, the reason this is significant, that this passage we just read, is because in the, in the world today, all over the world today, everywhere that the church is growing and healthy, Christianity is spreading like wildfire. In anywhere that the church is in decline, Christianity is, is in decline. That's a statistical truth that you can put in any model you want uh, I mean, I, I, I live, breathe, and eat church, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, uh, for, for example, let's go, uh, Trace and I, several times we've been to different places in Europe, and the one thing that's awesome about Europe is they have beautiful churches. The bad thing about Europe is that no one goes to those churches. I mean, big, huge, magnificent, multi-million dollar buildings with every kind of stone and marble, and it would be a huge building. And you walk in, they have a little bitty area roped off way at the front where 30 people can go. And, and are there churches growing in Europe? There are churches that are growing in Europe. But overall, 
overall, it, it has been in, in decline for several hundred years. A lot of people just don't go, and the church doesn't have great value in that area. Now, let's go to America. Uh, how are we doing? The church in America, uh, we're, we're, we're a couple hundred years behind Europe. The church in America is in decline. It's been in decline for quite some time. There are 300... See, sometimes when you live in a big area, you don't understand how things are going. Houston's a huge area. Because we have 7.1 million people in this area, you're going to have large churches. You just are. But in America, 50% of all the congregations, there are 370,000 congregations in America. Half of them have less than 80 people. And have, now that, so that's all the mega churches and everything. Half of them, and, and, and 80% of churches have actually lost membership in the last five years. It, it's, it's like going, going backwards. As a matter of fact, only 15% of churches in America have more than 200 people in them. That's, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? So if you, if you take everything into, into account, that, that's why it's funny you know, we are not a large congregation as in return, as in regards to some of the huge churches in Houston, but 85% of churches in America are much smaller than we are. Isn't that, isn't that funny? If you have over 200 people, you're only 15%. And on top of all that, it's not just how many people go to church, but it's like how many are actually involved. And in America, the, church, the average family goes 1.2 times a month. So we have, we can't even... We're not even at 50% attendance. So, so what, what I'm saying in that, what I'm saying is all the countries where the church is healthy and growing. So if you go to Nepal, if you go to India, Honduras, China, Russia, places like that, Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds. And it's because the local church, they're planting churches in, in villages and communities. And, or another, another way you could put it is this way. If you take the world, all over, all over the world, every country that is affluent, every country that has basically to, 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 a, to the letter, every church that has great affluence where, where people are making good money, where there's high education levels, Christianity and the church are in decline. And if you go to poor countries that don't have education, don't have money, Christianity is exploding. It, isn't that amazing? That, that's, that is just amazing to me. And let, let's think about this when Pastor Joseph was here. Nepal has the fastest Christian-growing community in the world. It's, Christianity is growing the fastest of anywhere in the world in Nepal, and which, is, which is a totally, uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's a Hindu state, Hindu nation. And so, but what, what does Pastor Joseph did? He talked last week. They go into a village where no one knows Jesus, and they stay in that village and that community until they win somebody to the Lord. It may take six months, it may take nine months, it may take a year and a half. He goes and he talks to the, to the elder, the, the chief elder and, and of the village, and he gets permission, he brings clothes to people, he's just bringing clothes to kids, he may bring some food, rice, bread, and eventually they ask, why are you giving us stuff? Why do you care about us? And, and, and then they share, well, you know, I have, our God loves all people, and they start going through that. And after they, uh, usually about that time, they win two or three people to the Lord. And he asked the chief, the elder of the village, is it okay if I bring one of my pastors to live here to teach these Christians more about Jesus? And they say yes, and that's how, so that's how, that's, that's kind of how, how it goes. And so let, let's look at the other place where Jesus talks about the ecclesia. Um, and we're, we're going to get, I'm trying to give you a big picture of where we're at. And again, I'm not saying that there aren't churches in America growing. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that people aren't getting, give, getting saved in America. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that about Europe. I'm saying if you take the overall picture, and if you know how the stock market, you know, how it has that thing of there's dips and all this, but it, it go, over time it goes like this. What I'm saying is in mo most of these countries where the churches are not, are not growing and thriving, it, it went like this many, many years ago, and now it's been on a slow slope like this because the, the church is not healthy. There's not uh, a value seen in that. Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17, it says this. It's a very interesting passage. If your brother or sister sins 
go and point out their fault. Okay, let me stop here for a minute. You are listening. I didn't know if you were listening, okay? You're really quiet today. No, this is not saying if you have a personality issue with somebody. This is not saying is if you're very insecure and somebody bothers you. This is like a big deal. If someone in the church, if they sin, in other words, if someone's having an extramarital affair on their wife, like big deals, if there is blatant sin, um, you, you know, go and point it out just between the two of you If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, this is what Jesus says, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That doesn't sound very nice, you know. Who wants to be treated like a tax collector, right? Everyone hates the IRS, right? Okay. So let, let's talk about this for a minute. And uh, so several in things are implied by this reference of Jesus to the ecclesia is that the first is that the church that Jesus envisions has a standards of belief and conduct. Like Jesus expects us to live as the Bible teaches. And, and no one's, so it's not, it's, again, this is not saying if somebody isn't perfect, kick them out of the church. No, it's saying if someone has, is blatantly disobeying the Bible and you go talk to them, then you bring a couple people, if they refuse to live that way, and there were, there were several instances of this when Paul was starting churches. If you read the stories, there was, there was one story when there was incest in the church, like a father sleeping with his daughter. And Paul's like, we can't, we can't have that, you know? They talk to him, whatever, and Paul's like, they got to get out, you know? Yeah, that's if if that makes sense. That's what I'm talking about. But um, it had. But anyway, the church that Jesus envisions has a standard of belief and conduct, a membership from which you can be excluded from, a process of discipline, a form of government, meetings at which a matter may be told, and leaders who facilitate the church. So the church that Jesus envisions has a concrete existence. It's it has an organization. It has an institution. It has members that are committed to each other, to God, and to the church. It's a group of, of believers who have committed together, and they're trying to accomplish something uh, to, to build, you know, the, the, the kingdom of God. And, and so it's just, it's, this is very important to understand as, as, we, as we look at this. And, you know, you think about uh, as things grow and there's more churches, things get more complicated. Uh, it, it's funny how... That, that scripture we just read, you cannot do that in church anymore. You cannot do that. If, if you know, let's say if I have a member, say I have a member and, and someone comes to me, it, come, it comes out, it's the wife, it's a married couple, wife comes to me and says, my husband's having an affair. And so typically, um, you know, what I do, what happens typically is I never even meet with that person. They just leave. And I hear six months later that they're at the church down the road leading a small group. You know, and that pastor never even called me to see. Like, I didn't kick them out. I never got to talk to them. You know, that, that, that's, where we've, that's where we've gotten. And I think what Jesus envisions is that, man, we're, we're committed to each other and, and we hold each other accountable. We hold each other accountable not to be perfect because no one's perfect. But to try to honor Jesus uh, with, with, with our lives. It's so funny today. Uh, one of the complaints, I, I had a friend of mine, a really good friend, and a number of years ago he called me. He's like, Terry, I have decided never to attend an organized church again. I'm like, well, why are you calling and telling me that, you know? Like, I was on staff at the church in Lafayette. I'm like, what? You know, why are you telling me this? I just wanted you to know. I'm like, well, okay, I'll play your game. Why are you no longer going to church? Because they have structured Jesus out of the church. Oh, okay, well, I'm sure there's some churches that are less structured. Maybe you can go there. And he just didn't like structure. He didn't like organization. And we're going to talk about this in just a minute. It's very important. And so what he did is he started a home church with five people. And the rule of their home church was there are no rules. 
that was the rule of his church. We're just free to worship Jesus. Well, so these five people left the church where he was at and went with him. And, and six weeks later, they were back at the church because they're like, that guy has no rules. He's like, we don't know when we're going to start. We don't know when we're going to end. We don't know. Or like just do. And, 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 and so I thought it was funny. You started a church with no rules and people rejected you. You know, that's kind of funny, huh? But let, let's look at this. So, um, it, but if you, if you think about it, for anything to grow and be healthy, there has to be some sort of leadership, whether it's a business, a church, and I'm not saying dict- dictatorial leadership, but there has to be some leadership. I remember when we were, when my kids were young, and, um, and so let, let's say we were after church, we are going to go to lunch. And I, I, I didn't want to be that dad who just told their kids to do everything, so I'd ask the kids in the back, hey, where do y'all want to go to church? I'm, where do you want to go eat? And Tracy would be like, well, why do you do that? There would be three different things, you know? So, I mean, they're going to all say three different things. Just choose a place where you need to go. Well, what was the goal of lunch after church? Nourishment, right? It didn't matter if it was tacos, hamburgers, or chicken, right? They need food to live, and we're going to give that. We're going to give that to them. So there has to be leadership. Let me, let me I, I want to talk just, uh, we're going to go in a minute to the early church and see they had, they had five things that, that made church church, and we're going to talk about that. But I want to first deal with some common complaints about church. And I don't know why, but I guess because I'm a pastor, like I'll go to the gym and I'll be working out doing stuff, and people want to come up and talk to me about why they don't like church. And, and, and I want to tell them, well, you don't even go to mine, so I really don't care. You, I, but I don't do that because I want to be a nice person, you know? Um, but here's the common complaints is, first of all, people always say, I've been looking for a church for so long, I'm just looking for the ch- perfect church. But I'm like, that will never work. And they're like, why? I said, because you're going to go. You'll get All of us are imperfect, right? And if we found the perfect church for us, it most likely wouldn't be the perfect church for our spouse or our kids. And so... The, the, the goal is not to find a perfect church. No church is perfect because the church is made up of human beings. But some follow God more closely than others. You know, some have better leadership than others. So it's just very, very in, in focused. And I've talked to people here in the Houston area, and they've been looking for a church, and they just can't find a church. And I'm like, there are a lot of churches in this area. If you, like, can't find a good church in this area... The problem may not be with the church, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just thinking. And I know it's hard to find a church where you feel comfortable. But that's the first common church is that no church is perfect. Even when Jesus left, you read the book of Acts, they're just a couple years after Jesus left, having personal to, been, per, been personally discipled by Jesus. And there's problems because you have people that are coming in and they don't even know what it's like being a Christian. And, and that's where discipleship comes in of teaching people and working with people and here this is a common other thing this is very interesting uh some a lot i have a lot of people tell me i don't believe churches should have buildings okay no really no it's a really common problem that the early the early church met in homes and i don't believe it's spiritually relevant for a church to have uh, or they or a church should not be about the buildings i agree with that the church should never be about the building the building is just a place where you can meet together. If the building, I mean, if the church comes out worshiping buildings and, and how things look, that's a problem. But, but, but let's look at this. First Peter 2, 4, and 5, very important. Peter says this, as you come to him, the living stone, so it refers to Jesus as the living stone, uh, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, so the Bible references us as living stones, as Jesus being the living stone, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what, is, what, is, what this is saying is that the church is not about buildings. The church is about people. That we're living stones. We're supposed to be alive in our faith. We're supposed to be active in our faith. And we're supposed to be following the, 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 the living stone of Jesus Christ. And, uh, but I want to say something. 
So anyway, the church is about people. The church is supposed to be dedicated to, uh, to people who are living for Jesus Christ, who are coming together to serve God, each other, and their local communities. The, the church is about people and not a building. The building just gives us an, an opportunity to grow. So when we first started the church, we, we didn't even have, have any people, so we started in our home. And the first week we had 13 adults and 14 kids. Well, our living room could handle 13 people, so I was down there with the adults. I was having a good time. When church was over, Tracy said, we have to find a larger place. I was up in a room with 14 kids. So it's good unless if you're the one with the 14 kids, right? I mean, everything's good besides that. So we found a bigger place to live. We, we rented a daycare for seven years. And, and then we built a small building over here. And Because the thing is, you, a, a congregation can never grow beyond its ability to house people. So the building is just simply a tool. But I, I want to I I share something with you. That statement that the early church didn't have church buildings, that's not true. There's a big, there's a big home church movement, and that's fine. If people want to meet in a home, I'm all about it. Have church in your home if that's what you want to if that's what you want to do. But to say that the early church didn't have church buildings, that, that, is, not, that is not biblically correct. And, and I'll, I'll show you that. If we go, first of all, we'll read a scripture about that in just a minute. But if you, the church in Jerusalem, which is where Christianity started, uh, the church in Jerusalem was the epicenter of Christianity. They had a temple. They had a temple, and the outer courts of the temple held thousands of people. And we, we see that the early church would go to the temple and the church, the church leaders, the apostles, Paul, Peter, you know, all these guys would, would, would teach the congregations. And we know that the church, when Jesus was there, had about 120, then it went to 3,000, then it went to 5,000. The church in Jerusalem was just blowing up. Uh, they did have a church building. But all of the churches, like, where, like what Paul, uh, like what Jose does in, in Nepal, that's how the early church started. They would go to the town of Philippi. And when somebody gave their lives to the Lord, they would then build a church. So Philippi, Corinth, Ephesus, Thyatira, all these churches in the Bible, they started in somebody's home because if you have three people that are Christians, you don't need a building that holds 500. I mean, is that a good thing? And, but, but as these churches grew, and again, I, I've been to many of these sites, and archaeology has found that in every one of these cities, after they could no longer, after the church was built up and grew, they would build some type of a synagogue or a church building where they could have, they could have their weddings, their funerals, and open church services. But they didn't start that way because in many times they didn't have enough people to need a church building. So a church building, it's okay if you need it. Now what I want to do for the remainder of our time, uh, which won't be too long, but I want to talk, I'm going to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, and I want to talk, there's a biblical model, a biblical formula for church and of how, how they did things in, in when Jesus left. And let, let's look at this real quick. Acts, let's read Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying all the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. So let's look at the biblical formula for the church. First of all, they had large meetings where everyone came together and was taught God's word. And we see this starting in Jerusalem. It says, this passage is taken from the church in Jerusalem, that they would go, they would go at certain times to go be taught the word of God. Why is this important? The church was growing so fast. I mean, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. A few chapters over, now there's 5,000 people in the church. So all, all of these new people coming to the faith they didn't know any doctrinal teaching. They didn't know hardly anything about the Bible. They would go to the temple courts, and, and Peter and John and these guys are teaching them the word of God, the doctrine of how to live. This is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus did. 
So that was, that was the first, most important thing. So the goal of the large church meeting was to learn God's word so that you could apply it to your daily life. But notice in this chapter, this is a big problem in church today, in America and around the world. The large meeting was, wasn't what church was all about. It was the start. It was the start. They went steadily. Uh, they went consistently to hear the apostles teach, but that's not all they did. And I, I have so many Christians talking to me, I, you know, I tried church and it just didn't work for me. But when I ask them what they mean by they went to churches, they went a couple times on Sunday. Sunday, the big service, it's not everything that church is about. It's just the beginning. It's a place where we can all come together. It's a place where we can, we can worship together. It's a place where we can uh, teach people things. But church was never meant to fulfill you just in a large meeting. That, that's not what it was. So what the, the second thing they did was they assembled in their homes for fellowship and spiritual dialogue. It's just, it's just they met in homes. They, they met in the large places and they met in homes. And this is critical for spiritual development. So the question is, what do you think the Christians, when they ate together in their homes, when they met together in their homes, what do you think that they talked about? They were talking about common issues that they, that they were going through. See, many, many of the early Christians, their families ostracized them. They were kicked out of their families for giving to the faith. The church became their family. So they're talking about issues with their family. They're talking about what, what Peter or, or Paul, what they spoke at the temple. They're having spiritual dialogue one another in a, in a small group. So we see that relationships are being, are being taken care of. And, uh, you know, again, you're, we're able to bounce what we're being taught off of each other and look at the Bible and just to, to gain spiritual, spiritual depth. So small groups allowed them to discuss and to break down things they had learned in the large, in the large you know, meeting. So one of the biggest problems with churches in America is that people only make time to come to large service every once in a while. Now our goal is to get everyone involved in a small group. And I understand why some can't. I mean, there's work, there's kids' schedules, there's all these things, right? But if you think you can come once or twice a month on Sunday and that you can be spiritually fulfilled, uh, I don't think you can be because that's, it's never been done that way. We're trying to do something that has never been done. So what did they do? They went to the large meetings and they saw people and they were taught things, but then they made, they made it a priority to get together in small groups outside of the Sunday service so that relationships could be built. Can you imagine if you went to the outer courts of the temple and there's 3,000 people there and you didn't know anybody? How are you going to ever have friends? How are you going to have Christian friends? And they, they would get together out, outside of that. And so, of course, we have, we have small groups that you can get involved in several times a year. We start those up. But this is how relationships were built and their faith was solidified. It wasn't in the large meeting. It was in the small meeting. That, that's very, very important. The, the third thing is this, is that we see that their lives revolved around the church. So, I mean, you think about it. It's, it was much easier, maybe it's much easier at that time. If you live in a little town and, and some, you know, they come, you get saved there, and let's say there's only several thousand people in the whole town, and you, you have a community of believers, and you don't have family anymore because they ostracized you. So that group of Christians that you were like-minded with, that you met with, like, they became everything to you. Like, they were everything because they were your family now. And, and so what we see is that their lives revolved around, uh, around their church. So many of the early Christians, again, they were ostracized. And, and uh, so what we see, if church is something that you do on occasion to get a spiritual boost, it will never have the impact on your life that Jesus meant for it to have. And so I think part of the problem when, when church is declining in certain countries and things, I think it's because that culture has tried to make, make church something that it was never intended to be. So church was never meant to be a fill-up station on Sunday morning. We're going to fill you up, and you come back next week, we'll fill you up again. No, because life is about relationships. Life is, is much deeper than just 
just a, a one-time fill-up. Fill the, the fourth thing is that they considered all members as important as themselves. Is this a problem in church today that many people that come to church, they're only seeing church as what they need or what they can get out of it? And, and basically, if they're good, they don't need to come. But church wasn't just about how good you were doing. It, as a matter of fact, in the early church, if you were doing good, if you were a mature Christian, you were expected to give back to the one who didn't know anything. There was expectations out of you. It wasn't just about you. If you're good, that's fine. You can give back to help some other people. There was some maturity involved. In other words, if I'm doing well but my brother or sister is not, that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. And it, it says in that passage we read, it said that, that, that they would sell properties as needed and give to those who had need. And, and so, I mean, wh wh what's that saying? If, if a church of believers are together, if we're family, if relationships are flourishing, what they did is if one person was wealthy or had means and someone didn't have the means to pay for their, their, their food or their car or their electricity, that people were saying, what can I do? What can I give up? What can I go without to make sure that my neighbor, that my fellow believer has enough? I mean, that, that, that's, I mean think about that. that that's, that's quite a difference because we have many people, we have thousands of people, millions of people probably, who go to churches today where they don't know anybody. They don't know anybody. And, and what I'm saying is it doesn't matter if you go to a large church, a small church, a middle-sized church. That's not the problem. The problem is that people aren't developing relationships where they can be challenged, where they can be encouraged, where they actually know if someone is hurting. We, a couple years ago, had someone, we had someone come to the church, and they'd been coming maybe three or four months, and they always came in late. They sit on the back row, and they always left as soon as it was over. And um, so they emailed me one day, and they said, Pastor, um, you know, I've been in the hospital for three weeks, and no one from the church came to check on me. And it concerned me. So I'm like, well, what small group are you in? Well, I don't, I don't go to a small group. I'm like, when did you put your prayer request in? Why well, didn't put a prayer request in? I'm like, who did you tell from the church? Well, I didn't tell anybody. I was like, I, I, forgive me, I should have been prophetic. You know, I should have. I, I, but, but think about this. I'm like, and I said, like, well, we can't help you if we don't know. That's why it's so important to have relationships or someone that you can talk to. And that goes for all of us. If we're hurting and there's people around us who we won't even tell we're hurting, how can we encourage each other? How can we help each other? So what we see in churches, there has to be some transparency in church for it to work. There has to be some sharing of personal feelings and ideas and prayer requests. If we go to church and say everything's okay and leave, that's not how... Jesus intended his church to be. Jesus intended his church for people to be helping each other, to be caring for each other. And so that implies that we have a part to do with that as well. And, and so we, we, we see this, that the, that the church was meant to be about large group meetings. And large group meetings is usually where visitors come because they feel comfortable. But that wasn't where church stopped. That was just the starting point. They did that consistently. Then they were involved in a small group for relational purposes, purposes for personal dialogue. And then we see that the church had a major part in their lives and that members would give to the church and individual members. And then, of course, we also see this is not on your notes. I just, I just put it in here this morning. But the church also is that, is that healthy churches grow. And it doesn't mean that every church has to have 20,000 people. But if, if you have church and you don't have anyone coming for five years and no new people joining, that would be a problem. That would be a problem because the church was sharing their faith. And you notice how it said that the church had the favor of all the people. Do you know why the church had favor of the people? Because the people saw how much they cared for each other. I mean, when you're selling land and paying for somebody's medical bills, whatever, when you're going out of your way to helping people, that's an incredible thing. 
a number of years ago. Uh, my house had flooded several years ago, and I hired a contractor, one of my friends that I had met at a gym a number of years ago, and um, he came to my house for working, and we had, I mean, we had like 30 people from the church come and totally gutted out my house in one day and all this kind of stuff. Do you, do you know that he had, now he had been in church before. He had never been, seen a church where they actually helped each other. And he's a member of our church now. He comes. Because like, I can't believe these people gave up their time and just came out there and do that. I tried to tell him, well, it's because they love their pastor so much. Their pastor, such a nice guy that they, and, but he said, no, I know you, Terry. It can't be that good, you know. Those people are good people. I mean, they're coming to help you. But, but, but see, and so the world saw how the church treated each other. And again, we have personality differences in the church. We have, may have disagreements. But the, the focus is Jesus. The focus is helping people. The focus is on, on being there when people are going down. And so my big concern today is that I think when people think about church, they think about some of the experiences that they had instead of the way that Jesus intended it to be. Because if you ever go to a church where people love you and you're connected and people are helping people and good things are happening, like, you want that for the rest of your life. The bad thing is, is that we, we and many times, people, people see organized religion, and organized religion is not the church that Jesus established. The church that Jesus established was about people who are in, in relationship with each other and in relationship with God that affects their communities and affects the way people do things. Is that good news, church? Would you stand with me today? As the band comes quickly, I, I just, you know, hopefully uh, this message, none of my messages are ever, none of them are ever supposed to make any